Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, episode 42, The Prince of Winterfell, A Dance with Dragons. I am Chloe, one of your hosts. You know me from my blog, liesandarborgold.com, and from Twitter and Tumblr as Lies and Arbor. And hello, I'm Eliana, another one of your hosts. And you probably know me as Gloss Table Girl from the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit or the Mason Monthly podcast, or maybe you're on like the social medias and you might know me as Arithmetric on Twitter. Today is a very heavy episode. The Prince of Winterfell is one of the most graphic of the Theon slash Reek episodes, so we want to call out that we will be, of course, discussing issues of assault, um, specifically sexual assault, as well as abuse. Lots, and it's not fun. Yes. So if if you're delicate like I am, this probably isn't the episode for you. We're probably we're not going to go into it. Into it. I think we do a very good job of being casual about all of the horrible, horrible assaults at the end. Um, and to be fair, George does a decent job of taking us out of the equation after a couple excessive paragraphs. So that's nice, but it's it's a lot. Yes, and it yeah, there's a lot of it, kind of just hinted at and strewn throughout the chapter. So. <laughs> Feel free to skip this episode if you like. Yes, we would. No, we wouldn't. We would never. We have a horrible duty to do. Ugh. Uh, but first, before we go into being horribly depressed and traumatized, which I'm really excited about, obviously, uh, we do have a funny tweet from this week. So we'll all smile a little before we get horribly sad. Yes. Uh, Snark Knight tweeted at us about last week's episode. Yes, uh, if you'll remember, as usual, we were discussing horses, and this time we're talking about (laughs) Ramsey's horse is named Blood. Because he's evil. Because he's evil, because he's extra. And one of our buddies on Twitter, SnarkNight1, said, now I want someone to name their horse Cheese. Dunkin' Egg 4? Hmm, we'll see. We'll see. What about Dunkin' Egg 5? And of course, this is a reference to the characters of Blood and Cheese in... The dance of the dragons, not Adoada. I'm, I'm, uh, wait, hold on. The Doada. The, the Doada. The Dode. I was gonna say the Doado. The Dodo. The everyone was a Dodo <laughs> in this war. Um, yeah, I, I'm working on putting together something like dunk and egg, cheese sandwich. You know, like a bagel egg and cheese. It's not. Maybe I'll get it by the end of this episode. I'm working on I it. I did everyone. love our idea, Eliana and I, earlier, which is bullshitting. We were like, what if we provided a blood and cheese or a cheese tier on Patreon where we suggested pairings <laughs> when you're listening to our episodes of what to eat and drink? I think that's a good tier. I don't know what we would do for it, but I think it's a great tier. <laughs> we're thinking about it. Just wanted to, you know, putting out these feelers. This is our uh, focus group, all of you. Yeah, you're all invited to our brainstorm hour. Yes. Speaking, though, of Patreon tiers, as a reminder, we have a stretch goal. Woo! A stretch goal. We invite patrons or prospective patrons to stretch themselves like Chloe's cat, Alison, across her lap. And... <laughs> you have a stretchy cat. Yeah, I do have a stretchy cat. She's so stretchy. Well, our stretch goal is kind of fun. It's really exciting. Uh, we are on Patreon. If you're not a patron of ours, 
then check us out just for funsies. Uh, Patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. You can join for as little as $1 and get some perks, some bonuses, some fun. Uh, we will be doing a live stream once we hit $1,000 as our stretch goal. So we're getting pretty close, getting close. We're, uh, we're chugging along. We're hoping to meet that stretch goal and get there so we can do a live stream for patrons. And uh, I mean, it's going to be an experience. You know, it's going to be like patrons get automatic VIP access and whoever the patrons let into this party. You know, we're not going to stop you. We're here to have fun. So. When are we not? <laughs> so make friends with the patron. That's what I'm saying. That's what I would do if I wanted to get invited to a party, I guess. I don't know how that works. I don't go to parties, but. <laughs> That's not true. I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe you host parties with us. Well, now we are. We're hosting a party. That's I want to Look, the whole idea here behind this marketing scheme, you guys, is I watched Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh, my God. It's also a really great, crappy book, especially because like it's really cool. Sidebar, it was written by two authors. It was written by this guy and chick who like were writing it together. So back and forth, back and forth. And then the book is written from Nora and Nick's point of view back and forth. So anyways, I digress. Really good teen fiction novel. It was fun, you know, and the movie's really fun because I like Kat Dunnings and Michael Sarah's weird and awkward. So it just worked out well. But uh, they, they, you know, spend all night looking for their favorite band's party. Right. And so what I want... I want like our concert, our party, our live stream to be looked, <laughs> you know, like graffiti on a bathroom wall. Girls gone canon. Here's the URL. Uh, are you Nick or Nora? Oh, I'm Nora. I'm absolutely Nora. But obviously, let's. Be <laughs> um, shit. Well, it's gonna be a secret show. I want everyone just to post like question mark, question mark, question mark. Don't day girls gone canon. Oh, I guess no one can see me gesture. I made a gesture, everyone, and only Chloe really saw me reacting to this. So, anyway. To be fair, it's always me that only sees you react to this. True. True. Check out our patron, as mentioned. Come come to the party. Uh, this will be for all patrons, a dollar and up, and whoever else sneaks in. So that pushes us into our lightning round for what we missed between Reek 3 and this new character, the Prince of Winterfell in Adawara. Oh, yes. We're going to start off with Tyrion 8. Tyrion befriends Penny and listens to Makoro's prayers and visions. Brand 3. As Jojen weakens, Brand's sight grows stronger. He sees visions of the past, distant, and near. John 7. John leads new hires of the Wall to take their vows. They bring back more wildlings, and Stannis sends word of his victories in the war to Winterfell. Daenerys 6. After visiting the sick refugees camped outside a marine, Daenerys prepares for her wedding to his dar. She learns of Brown Ben Plum's betrayal, betrayal. and she Dario. Oh my god, betrayal. <laughs> and finally, yes, that brings us over to the Prince of Winterfell, where Theon reminds Jane that she must be Arya or suffer. As Arya's last surviving brother, Theon is chosen to present her at her wedding. Ramsay humiliates his new bride and Theon after the wedding feast. The hearth was caked with cold black ash, the room unheated but for candles. Every time a door opened, their flames would sway and shiver. The bride was shivering too. 
They had dressed her in white lamb's wool trimmed with lace. Her sleeves and bodice were sewn with freshwater pearls, and on her feet were white doe-skin slippers, pretty but not warm. Her face was pale, bloodless. What a start to a chapter. Truly. That's just... I get that people say they don't like feast and dance. I understand that, like, you can say those words. I just don't understand how you can believe that because this is just top tier, just the imagery, the Bolton imagery, right? Like, her mm-hmm. face is pale and bloodless and uh, the the virgin bride, the sacrifice kind of imagery, mm-hmm. you know, is huge here. She's covered in white, little fashion hour, depressing fashion hour, you know, she's dressed in white lamb's wool trimmed with lace and there's freshwater pearls sewn all over it and she's wearing white slippers everything's very pure very much like snow you know the embodiment of the north which we're going to talk about in a bit is very very important to this entire chapter for the bolton regime mm-hmm. also coming back to that fashion hour this sewn with freshwater pearls reminds me of that cloak that Sansa wears that people say could have been Sandor's. Yes, or I guess technically it wouldn't have been Sandor's, but is worn underneath, right, or like above yeah. the the cloak that Sandor wears. When people discuss the theory that in many ways that exchange was like a wedding, which you all described in a few episodes ago, <laughs> once upon a time. Yes. It, as you were saying, Jane's face being like carved out of ice because it's bloodless. It's it's interesting. It's the way that I feel Cersei was described when we first see her in Ned's chapters of very much an ice queen. But here it's a little different as to why Jane is feeling that way. Here it's because she feels fear returning to Winterfell. What a terrible feeling, right? To To be scared to come back home and... Yeah, you finally get to go home after the horrors you've seen, and this is what you're going home to. And it's more of a nightmare, yeah. Man, nothing... Poor Jane. Um, I also want to say, randomly, the bloodless thing. I know that people think of the Boltons as vampiric. And someone recently mm. made a joke, they were like, oh, yes, the vampires fighting against the direwolves or werewolves, and I just really think it's bold of George to take that much inspiration from the Twilight series. Anyway, sorry. I'm just glad you're bringing a little light to it. Thank you, Elliot. I'm, I'm here for that. that. Yeah, I'm bringing the light. I'm bringing the vampiric sparkle. Because I am sitting here, and my stomach's like. Eh. Someone has to do it. Thank you. You are another sacrificial lamb. You know. I guess. <laughs> so the wedding procession begins. As they wait for their turn, Jane says she'll be better than the real Arya. That she was the one who made up the name Horseface. She longed to be beautiful like Sansa. It's a very sad line. She asks if Ramsay thinks that she's pretty and Reek lies and says yes. She shouldn't listen to the lies that Ramsay hurts people. He then thinks that his hands and the torture were deserved. Jane pleads with him to help her and, you know, says, Oh, you're so handsome. Run away. I'll be your lady. And then, of course, we get this passage. Theon wrenched his arm away from her. I'm no, I'm no one's man. A man would help her. Just, just be Arya. Be his wife. Please him or just please him and stop with this talk about being someone else. Jane. Her name is Jane. It rhymes with pain. The music was growing more insistent. 
It is time. Wipe those tears from your eyes. Brown eyes. They should be gray. Someone will see. Someone will remember. Good. Now smile. Oh my god. There's a lot to break down in this passage. There's a lot to break down in this chapter. It's a, it's a long chapter, everyone. This is longer than most of the other chapters. And of course, it's very dense in terms of what happens. Starting with the rhyming, you know, you all know it. Re-Greek, it rhymes with freak or leak or meek or insert X eek thing here. It's a way for Theon and the reader, of course, to remember his new name. It becomes this verbal tick that reminds us of this fake identity that he's donned. And it's interesting that here we see that the rhymes are used to think of Jane's name, not as Arya's, mm. because it's so important instead that people remember her as Arya. And it reminds us, the reader, that this is in fact Jane. And But it also gives us that impression that Theon is remembering who she really is, even though he struggles to remember himself. And that idea of someone will see, someone will remember, it ends up being that the person who remembers is actually Theon. He's the one who sees. And shunting it off as someone else will see kind of absolves him of that responsibility. And of course, it comes from that fear of being found out. But in the end, like with the North, it's it's Theon who sees and remembers, whether it's Jane's torture or who she really is. It, it's him, and he's the one who is responsible. And in our October Patreon episode, we discussed in depth this changing, the slipperiness of identity for so many of the characters in The Song of Ice and Fire. And it's interesting that a lot of it is occurring around this time in the lives for many of those characters, which is adolescence, because, of course, it is a time when many people are finding their identity. That's why teenagers love that like metaphor of the mask. I'm not about to pretend like I didn't. And A Song of Ice and Fire as a story is using that in a very literal sense. And Theon, being the one who remembers, who sees it, it becomes him who has to take up that responsibility and step up and help Jane, even though here he feels like he can't. I'm just going to throw this out there. That's what adulthood is. It's the worst is what it is. Adulthood? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, we don't have to deal with what Theon does, but it's yeah. it's um it's a story, you know. It's a yeah, that's metaphor. A, that's or a rite of passage, right there. Yeah. yeah, it's something. Jane attempts to keep a smile on her face as they exit into the wedding crowd, and it just reminds me of the line, like I said, so sad. I was never beautiful like Sansa, but they all said I was pretty. Jane. Pain, it rhymes with pain. It's the only thing she has. It, it also makes me think of how it was such a missed opportunity in the bad show that they didn't take Roz and yeah. have her be fake Sansa because it was so set up. You know, I mean, she yeah. gives that whole thing about, oh, they rang the bells, you know, in the city when she was born from like beginning of the day to midnight to whatever she actually says. But, you know, she like does that stupid line with Theon. So right there, it was like it was almost set up. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder if, like, you know, there's the the heavily listened to rumor that she might have been, you know, fired for not wanting to do nudity anymore. Um, and then, you know, viciously killed offset. So that's cool. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that would have been such an interesting thing, especially like, I mean, Littlefinger was grooming her and then like she's murdered by Joffrey. That would have been so perfect. It was already set up. Yeah, it, it really was. Set up. And we have 
an established relationship between her and Theon, like that interaction that would have really come around. Yeah, um, it gives him almost a reason to give a shit about her. Yeah. We then go into a flashback, speaking of past seasons, mm-hmm. where Theon asks why he's the one delivering Jane to Lady Dustin, and Barbie tells him that, well, all of Arya's family is dead. He's like, uh, what? And Theon exclaims, <laughs> she has a brother, uh, he's at the Night's Watch, like, everyone fucking knows him. And Barbie says, that won't do, because he's a bastard as well, and I guess that's not okay. And Theon understands exactly then what it means for him to be the one walking Arya down the line. It's a stamp of approval to the Northern Lords. They are using me to cloak their deception, putting mine own face on their lie. You kind of broke into some of the identity talk that we chatted about back in October with our Patreon episode about identity. Uh, Every day is Halloween. And... I kind of want to talk about identity here, too, because in A Dance with Dragons, a double respectfully, uh, we talk a lot about this theme of identity and fake identity and people, you know, being someone else, whether it's Tyrion being Hugo or Yalo, or whether it's, you know, uh, Aegon Targaryen coming back or Jon with his secret identity or Theon or Arya. All of these things kind of all ramble around and the themes really built up, especially as what we're probably going to find out in The Winds of Winter, as John's identity revealed, right? We're going to hear about R plus L equals J. We're going to find out that John, you know, is actually, there was a place for him, yada yada, whatever. That John was the son of Brandon and Ashara? Is that what stop. you're going to tell me? I'm going to tell you to stop, <laughs> is what I'm going to tell you. Uh, and garbing Theon in his gold and black velvet and Jane in this white and gray with a stark cloak is to show what they are symbolically to these people. Theon is the Lord of the Iron Islands with his little silver kraken that Lord Bar- or that Lady Barbary gave him attached to his cloak. And of course, Jane as Arya. It reminds me greatly, especially when talking about Aegon and Jon, of the line from The Princess and the Queen, the passage from that in Fire and Blood, that every visible symbol of legitimacy belonged to Aegon. He sat the Iron Throne. He lived in the Red Keep. He wore the Conqueror's crown, wielded the Conqueror's sword, and had been anointed by a septon of the faith before the eyes of tens of thousands. Uh, Lots of ideas there with identity. But of course, it leads back to this line from A Dance with Dragons in this chapter that Theon thinks, you know, unless the gods were good and Stannis Baratheon descended on Winterfell and put all of them to the sword, himself included, that was the best he could hope for. He knows that they're going to try to get rid of him once the wedding's done. They won't need the Iron Island Lord anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a great point to show how these symbols, that those trappings of power, are working in this storyline. Um, I like also, it says T-Pow over <laughs> here. They make their way to the godswood for the wedding. A stark at last, he thought. Arm in arm, the bride and he passed through an arched stone door as wisps of fog stirred round their legs. Mm. God, this chapter sucks. It's so painful. I hate you, George. They both wanted to be Starks. And Theon's all like, I mean, yeah, it's all those him kind of delivering Jane as Arya, and he's like, huh, I'm a Stark, but, you know, bitterly and 
he's also thinking it because he's wearing quote unquote the stark colors because his skin is gray now and his hair is white and I'm like what the fuck yeah he and Jane both finally get to don their gray and white right like for Jane it means the abuse she's about to really endure from Ramsey and there's such a time jump you know between these chapters we see this chapter and the next chapter are pretty close and then that last chapter has a little bit of a time jump so you see how much he suffered mm-hmm. in that time but it's obvious what leads Theon to where he is at the end of the book. Uh, these chapters do a lot to execute that, but man, they hurt. And I do love, there's this great passage that I'm going to skim through real quick and just talk about. I love this passage. Theon talks about how he's not a stranger to the gods. He remembers playing there, skipping stones, hiding treasures in an ancient oak tree, stalking squirrels with a bow. I love how we get this characterization of Theon as a really good bowman. There's a new Game of Thrones game. I don't know if you've seen it, that browser game, the Winter is Coming game. And it's really actually addictive and horrible. And no, I haven't spent money, but I want to talk about it. I haven't paid to play at all, but I might have. Anyways, so uh, they make Theon a bowman in that as well. You know, it's that's his, that's his prime thing. So it's interesting and cool that they paid attention to that. It's his thing. And then he talks about, you know, soaking his bruises in the hot springs after fighting with Rob and Jory and John. And then, of course, he would find secret places in the godswood to kiss girls or to hide when he wants to be alone. And, of course, later he has sex and loses his virginity for the first time in the godswood uh, underneath a big gray-green tree. And then there's this really beautiful just imagery and uh, it's such a good line that he had never seen the godswood like this, though. Gray and ghostly filled with warm mists and floating lights and whispered voices that seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere. Beneath the trees, the hot springs steamed. Warm vapors rose from the earth, shrouding the trees in their moist breath, creeping up the walls to draw gray curtains across the watching windows. There's so much good language in this chapter. Oh, man. Because, like, as horrible as it is at the end imagery and just the godswood alone it's beautiful it it does a lot to display theon's connection to the godswood which we learn of course is really a connection mm-hmm. to bran uh to blood raven and bran but another connection that i've talked about extensively before uh is gray mist i don't know if you guys listen to game of owns who are a great podcast you should definitely check them out if you haven't they're like forefathers of a lot of podcasts in our scene but uh, listen to Game of Owns. I was on there and we got to talk about some of the brand chapters and we talked about the gray mist theory that I have written a lot about, a couple of people have speculated about as well. Anytime that gray mist is involved, it is Blood Raven meddling or brand meddling with memories. And it has to specifically be gray mist. But if you look at the glamour in, uh, of course, Duncan Egg with Maynard Plum, that's a pretty confirmed little theory that he was Blood Raven, glamoured as Plum. Uh, he was surrounded by gray mist. Melisandre with the glamour of Mance slash Rattleshirt. There's gray mist around. Different magics just seem to lead to that. So I don't know if it's all blood sacrifice or this or that or what, but mm-hmm. just really interesting that the imagery and the reminders of like just all of that keep coming into play. And of course, it coincides with the hot springs as well. We definitely see the steam rising from the hot springs too. Yeah, there is so much with that mist imagery and and the idea of something looming there in this chapter. And I don't know, with the language in general, you 
can just see I f- that like George poured his heart out into writing this channel. With the imagery, you can really just see that George poured his heart out into writing this chapter. Yeah, not it's- only that, but there are some chapters in A Dance with Dragons that I feel like obviously you can see that frustration peeking through. Like oh, yeah. in the Danny chapters, you get a little of that. You know, some of these marine chapters, you can see where he was frustrated and where things weren't molding together yeah. right. And this is a chapter that you know this is everything he wanted it to be and more. Like he was just writing and his fingers were probably just flying into Word Star. And mm-hmm. he was probably just like, oh, this is so smart. And it was. It was so fucking smart. So really good job, George. Thanks, like, props, I'm buddy. The word star. Yeah. <laughs> he is the word star. <laughs> Reek leads Jane down the footpath, taking care not to say her name or misstep, literally misstep, or else he might lose a foot, and he thinks that the setting feels like the underworld, and he wonders if maybe we've all died already. Maybe, like, Stannis has come and killed us all of us in our sleep, and what is, is Stannis, like, the Sandman or something? The Boogeyman! Yeah, he's like the, the Boogeyman or, or something like that. <laughs> The way the mist threw back the shifting light made their features seem bestial, half-human, twisted. Lord Stout became a mastiff, old Lord Locke a vulture, Horsbane Umber a gargoyle, Big Walder Frey a fox, Little Walder a red bull, lacking only a ring for his nose. Roose Bolton's own face was a pale gray mask with two chips of dirty ice where his eyes should be. Rude, dirty ice, damn. Me like a minute ago, George, you're so brilliant. Me now, you're a furry, George. <laughs> yes, yes. for the dirty ice what is yeah, that what i don't kind? know what the is fuck it, yeah. that even is like what does dirty ice look like, like just it's yellow snow okay well i don't okay, believe I'm you done. I, <laughs> I don't believe you i love this passage because you know theon is like seeing these people for how they are symbolically right you have like big walder gray is a fox which we know he's a lot smarter than what people think because he's small Little Walder is a red bull lacking only a ring for his nose, you know, so that's like a, he's so stupid and big and mean. Uh, And Roos's mask, of course, that idea of the mask that we always talk about, you especially have hit on it. And Lord Stout is a mastiff. Old Lord Locke is a vulture, obviously a vulture descending upon, you know, wanting that feast for crows we keep talking about. Horsbane Umber, a gargoyle. Uh, I also think a lot about that vision from Quaith here to Danny, uh, how she speaks to Danny of people as sigils and symbols, and just how through mm-hmm. these mists this is what Theon perceives. That quote that we get from Quaith to Danny that the glass candles are burning, soon comes the pale mare, and after her the others, Kraken and Dark Flame, Lion and Griffin, the Sun Sun and Mummer's Dragon. Uh, especially with the idea of the gray mist being something magical going on, in the text, just like with Quaith and whatever she's really doing. No one, no one really knows, but... Which, okay, I'm getting to the point where we obviously need a new book because I'm starting to be like, what if Melora is Quaith and she's using a glass candle? And like, what if I believe that theory after all? And now I'm like, if I don't get a book soon, I will turn to the dark side on this kid. Oh my god. We gotta stop me. What's gonna happen? I'm gonna have to hold you back. I'm gonna have to perform an exorcism. Yeah. Okay, call Melora. <laughs> Quaith, it also reminds me of... I want to say it's Illyrio speaking with Tyrion mm. and saying, like, you Westerosi all think of yourself as actually your sigils. Yeah, definitely. And them becoming that. The ravens watch the wedding, and then the mist parts. 
And by the heart tree stands Ramsey Bolton asking, there's like this whole, like, you know, the script, right? When people yeah. get married and here it's like, who comes before Mother, the gun? maiden, father, brother, crone, sister, earth, fire, heart. <laughs> did I do it right? You did, but you know. From we that don't, show. We don't follow. Yeah. Uh, Captain Planet Os. Captain, Captain Planetos. Planetos. Oh my god, that's my Halloween costume. That's my Ice and Fire costume. Ooh, I'm that would be actually Captain be really Planetos. Good. Oh, Macumba would actually be good. And then having like the companions all be you know like characters, but in like superhero mm. outfits or something. And man, Ice and Fire Con. It's not. It's not too far, but we could still do it. You could we're, do it. We're not going to do it. No, you're not. Um, yeah. yeah, the script though. You know, you you gave the you gave that southern script yeah. here in the north they're just like who comes before the god they have very short weddings it's like the episcopalian version of the catholic wedding oh that's god. how i think of it <laughs> much <laughs> shorter unless i'm confusing my my uh different sects whatever no, anyways no, theon so replies right. with all the right words and he goes it's Arya, come to be wed and then ramsey's like who I come to claim her or something like that. And Theon's like, well, I'm going to give her. Yeah. And then Jane slash Arya lifts her head. And again, Theon wonders if everyone is just so blind as to not see that the brown eyes should be gray. Oh. This is, I, I'm, we're going to just read another, another passage aloud because, again, everything's so good. This is your chance. He thought, tell them, tell them now, shout out your name before them all, tell them that you are not Arya Stark, but all the North here, you were made to play this part. It would mean her death, of course, and his own as well, but Ramsay and his wrath might kill him quickly. The old gods of the North might grant them that small boon. I take the man, the bride said in a whisper. <sighs> Theon's awakening is like kind of starting in this chapter right like it's an awakening of his consciousness at least it's him realizing he could put someone else their life ahead of his life and it kind of took falling to the bottom becoming nothing for him to feel that way yeah after a prayer the groom removes the dire wolf cloak and then puts on his own cloak which is spattered with garnets because ramsey's like super i don't know into garnets and shit yeah, and it, it's super symbolism, as we've been talking about the whole cloak thing, because bloody cloak replacing the white and gray cloak, you know, and the whole virgin imagery of all of her white dress and all this. It's uh, basically putting a bloody cloak over this beautiful, whitely clothed, tiny fawn. Oh, Jane. So the, the wedding ends, and the musicians start to play two hearts that beat as one, and hey, it's Abel. Theon found himself wondering if he should say a prayer. Will the old gods hear me if I do? They were not his gods, had never been his gods. He was ironborn, a son of Pike. His god was the drowned god of the islands. But Winterfell was long leagues from the sea. It had been a lifetime since any god had heard him. He did not know who he was, or what he was, why he was still alive, why he had ever been born. Does anyone? Theon, a voice seemed to whisper. His head snapped up. Who said that? All he could see were the trees and the fog that covered him. The voice had been as... The Grey Mist! <laughs> the voice had been as faint as rustling leaves, as cold as hate. A god's voice, or a ghost's. How many died the day that he took Winterfell? How many more the day he lost it? 
the day that Theon Greyjoy died to be reborn as Reek. 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 It rhymes with shriek. Suddenly, he did not want to be here. Bran! And the Grey Mist! And Bloodraven! And Theon! Oh my god. It's starting! It's starting! It's beginning! Like, this is the most exciting chapter and the worst chapter because, like, the end is physically sickening. But, like, yeah. this part, you're like, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! The old gods hear him, and by that we mean it's Bran. It's Bran, Bran is the old god. Holy shit. I know it's a theory somewhere by now, I'm sure. I mean, um, it's kind of like it's Bran. Like, it's very obvious, right? That's so blood I don't know. Yeah, but <laughs> it is interesting, though, the idea that if Bran is Theon's old god and is the only one who can grant him forgiveness for the crimes against everything, very very Christian. So much Catholicism in here. You know how Theon we've talked about, you know, is the, the Beauty and the Beast princess in the tower right now? In a way. Like how he was the Beast but then I also joke he kind of did the whole princess in the tower thing when he was like stuck in the dungeons. Well you know, I guess in a way is Bran his fairy godmother? Kinda. I think Bran is Theon's fairy godmother and that's my hot I think Bran is part of is kind of his fairy godmother, but deep down inside, the real fairy godmother is Theon oh for himself. Do it for yourself. Do, do it for Jane also. Tap Theon. all the toes you have left together three oh times and say there's no place. Uh, Theon is totally spooked. He heads to the Great Hall. And he feels as if a ghost has unhooded him. The Winterfell is full of ghosts. For it's a ruin in Winterfell, of course, and the guests are all sleeping, huddled within Winterfell. Smoke rises from the kitchens and barracks that were recently rebuilt. In the ice and snow, Winterfell is gray and white, the stark colors. Everything is gray except the eyes of the bride, which are, of course, brown. What had she been thinking that he would whistle up a winged horse and fly her out of here like some hero in the stories she and Sansa used to love? He could not even help himself. Reek, reek, it rhymes with meek. Come on, Theon, break through. You're so close. Yeah, he's. it's very similar, though, right? Because Sansa now no longer believes that some hero is going to come to save her, though sometimes she's, she's tempted to. Yeah, there's a lot of those parallels in this chapter that we're still even getting through. Uh, yeah. So the Boltons have decorated Winterfell with all the bodies of people that were squatting there, just dead bodies, and they started rebuilding Winterfell, as we heard, with the uh, barracks and the kitchens that were recently rebuilt, and uh, it's just a morbid affair. Like, mm -hmm. Tim Burton is fucked, right? Like, all I can see are spindly, skinny characters with big eyes and snow and depression. But it, it's super morbid, it's super depressing. Weddings are kind of soured. After those last two ones we had, right? Even for characters in texts that are forced to bow to a new, obviously cruel regime to survive their winter. They have no better options at the moment. They're choosing what they think will sustain them rather than some vendetta to murder Boltons openly, right? Like, I mean, they have to bide their time as we learn. Yes. Before the wedding, Lady Dustin had insisted on being the one to keep watch over this Arya. And Reek thinks that so long as she is Arya and does not anger Ramsay, Ramsay would have no cause to hurt her, which, like, really? You think that well of this Ramsay person? Okay. Right. 
Or it just shows how much he's been brainwashed to think that he deserved any of the torture that he received. Theon's hands ache, especially his missing fingers. And he remembers that all of this ruined because he made himself the Prince of Winterfell. I love that kind of uh, parallel to John, Prince of Winterfell, and his hand hurts. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things, like, in all of this. Like, they were talking about that whole bastardy thing yes. earlier. And they, they come back to that idea later on. And there's so much of John kind of looming in the background. And, of course, vice versa. With Since both of them are in this book, like, we didn't have John and Feast. It's not a mistake that they're both in the same book. No, they're both the bastards of Winterfell, in a way, right? Theon was never yes. going to be a Stark. John was never going to be a Stark in his eyes. Uh, and of course, John has those other parallels with that hand flexing with like Catelyn with her hand from a Game of Thrones after uh, surviving the attack in the tower. So mm-hmm. really just some interesting little uh, some little strings tying each other. But there is this horrifyingly sad passage that Theon thinks. I made myself the Prince of Winterfell, he thought, and from that came all of this. He had thought that men would sing of him for a hundred years and tell tales of his daring. But if anyone spoke of him now, it was as Theon Turncloak, and the tales they told were of his treachery. This was never my home. I was a hostage here. Lord Stark had not treated him cruelly, but the long steel shadow of his great sword had always been between them. He was kind to me, but never warm. He knew that one day he might need to put me to death. Like we've been saying. Oh. We went over this, but yes, yes. Um, yeah, this plays well with that earlier quote about the heroes and the songs. Theon's learning not that the songs aren't true, but that the songs that are remembered are the not so good ones sometimes. Yeah. Theon remembers growing up in this yard, learning to fight alongside Rob and John under Sir Roderick. And this was also the yard where he'd called everyone out to find Bran and Rickon. And in those days, Reek had whispered to flay those who would disagree with him. And Theon's like, ah, no, there's not going to be any flaying. That's weird. Yeah, he even ends up thinking about when uh, Ramsay put Reek's face aside after he slayed all the men and all of Theon's mm-hmm. ironborn. And Theon thinks of how Ramsay set his horse afire. That was the last sight he had seen the day the castle fell. Smiler burning, the flames leaping from his mane as he reared up, kicking, screaming, his eyes white with terror, here in this very yard. <laughs> oh, Smiler. He also thinks about, you know, how none of these northern lords would help him. Like, he's known them forever, and none of them would help him. And all of this is just really sad. Like, he is known as a turncloak, though. They have no reason to help him. They think he killed their lords, and... It's just he really buried himself in this hole and kind of like dug himself this hole, got in it, and then it turned out there's this giant monstrous worm living in this hole that's going to eat at him, which is Ramsey. Yeah, I think I watched that episode of Star Wars. Oh my god. This is like a huge break, right, in his chapter in the Reek persona. We see it kind of tilting slowly but surely as first mm-hmm. he's, he's now the Prince of Winterfell. He's not Reek anymore. We see it in his reckoning of these memories. He's starting to kind of process some of this memoriam and this trauma from before his transformation to reek so we see that whole theme of it's not too late to come back coming back into play yeah but 
but it's not there yet. Like you were saying, he's thinking about like, no one would help me. And he's keeps, he's still thinking like, even so he had done his best to protect them, which like, if you had done that, you wouldn't have come to Winterfell and tried to sack it. But anyway, like he saw some penance to go and doesn't really understand what he did was wrong yet. And is still salty at people. It is kind of a bummer as we reread this that I'm like, oh yeah, you still don't get it though. Theon, like, man, come on. It's an arc. Take this leap to faith already. Well, it is interesting because, like, in the quote we read a little before this, he's thinking about how he thought people would sing the songs about the Prince of Winterfell. And he's still, like you said, he's still transitioning out of that. And the Prince of Winterfell is, of course, named quite bitterly and sarcastically here, ironically. And the next chapter, though, is titled The Turncloak. And I think that shows what? That transformation between the song that he thought he would have, the song he does have, and both of these identities and accepting them both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the turncloak is definitely so good. And uh, man, we know where we are right now. We just want the ghost in the Winterfell. That's what we're holding out for Do you? right now. I don't know. I this, this is also just... This is All good, these but... chapters are heavy and a lot. And yeah. yeah. God. It just is so dark, so dark. In the Great Hall, Abel is singing Fair Maids of Summer, and Theon slash Reek, as Eliana has lovingly referred to him as Threek in our notes, he thinks that Abel is a panderer. He showed up Lord Manderley's singers and brought six women, two sisters, two daughters, one wife, and his mother. But none of them look like him. Um, because, you know, like, they're they're not... What? They're not? They're not. What? Who are they? Oh, you know, they're not. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just some women. Okay, I mean, like, everyone knows. All right, everyone knows. It's Mance Raider. What? <sighs> yeah, this is I his second time. I didn't know that, dude. Oh, my God. Oh is that my a spoiler? God. It is probably, oh kind of, but not. Yeah, they're all, they're all great washerwoman slash music. Oh, yes. You're doing great. Yes. I, 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 it makes sense to me, you know. you got to know how to wash things, I guess, somehow out there. They're out there the playing wild. the washing board like a, like a little Aww. grassroots band. Yeah. That would be so cute. Bluegrass. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I love... Just this imagery that they don't cover the burnt down walls. Like, you can load up all these northern houses, but you're still not going to have Winterfell, Bolton. You know, uh, underneath all those colors and finery. And of course, the largest banners there are the Bolton banner and the Stark banner at the head table. And Theon immediately knows this is wrong. He thinks of Jane Poole's sigil, which is a blue plate on white, framed by a gray tresser. What is a tresser? Are you Googling it? Yeah, I am. Um, I keep getting that. So, in case anyone was wondering, a trusser is a thin border inset from the edge of a shield, narrower than an... This is actually not intuitive. Narrower than an orly, and usually born double. I don't know yeah. what the fuck an orly is. Yeah, I. you know, heraldry is something I would love to learn more about, except not. You know who would know all of these things? Mm-hmm. Everyone, Fat Walda, a.k.a. So smart. Aunt- you know who would know all these things, everyone? Fat Walda over on 
both Twitter and the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, she talked extensively about Heraldry in a Maester Monthly episode and had a lot of really, really great information to share and listen to her. We also had her on for an Arianne episode yes. back in the day. I love her. Cersei. She's we gotta great. get her back for Cersei someday. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, you're right. We haven't done Cersei yet. Where are we even? Man, Cersei's going to be fun. I know we haven't really talked about Cersei being fun, but those are going to be some oh. fucking chapters. It's going to be some, like, Bravo real We're going to be wine drunk for at least two months. Oh, we guys. have to be. Yeah, there's no way we can do Cersei chapters sober. I don't think she would want us to. No, for Cersei, we have to do these drunk. I don't, I don't see yeah, the problem. She was telling Sansa that she has to drink, and therefore we shall, and... Yeah, it's only right. So Theon walks into the hall, and as he walks in, men spit at him, and they call him a turncloak. He thinks on how they're kind of justified. He's a traitor who's brought Winterfell's demise, and he's delivered Arya, quote unquote, to the Boltons. Yeah, I mean he ain't wrong. I do think it's interesting how he is called turncloak right after this entire discussion within the text, them using upon the cloak and the sigils that Jane is wearing and how they're all wrong. And of course, like, yes, duh, turn cloak is a fancy way of saying traitor. And while Jane is not a traitor, per se, she is literally acting as a turn cloak here by turning, turning her, cloak. her cloak to be a Stark from, you know, blue plates and gray tressers and of course in many ways a very active marriage in westeros it's this weird like uncanny thing that it's the turning of cloaks for women right that's the marriage ceremony they swap out their maiden cloak for that of their husbands yeah you're like turning your back on your home and your family and becoming someone else taking a new face so to say he calls her his foster sister, not just Arya, when he's thinking that he's brought Arya to Winterfell. Like, he's seen, he's talking about how he's seen by the Northern Lords and how, you know, he's like, I delivered my foster sister. Like, he knows at the same time of the whole, you know, Ned obviously didn't treat me very warmly. My sister, that was basically my sister. Like, that is the girl I grew up with that I call my sister, you know, foster yeah. or not, it's still his sister. He didn't call her, you know, Arya Stark. He called her a for a, a less formal tone. So it's kind of a kind of a deal. He does a lurch walk since he's missing toes, and a washerwoman in the hall laughs at him. He kind of like gives us this little thought explanation that washerwomen are camp followers and they're also like salacious, open-legged ladies. And he thinks on basically how they're all different sorts. They're some of them are like hardened and can take dick like crazy uh, some are like doe-eyed and innocent and some are camp brides and all of them birth awful wretched bastards he thinks so again like you said he isn't getting like zen yet he's not out there like justice warrioring about stuff but you know he's still kind of theony there and then he has this thought that and it's really about pride obviously i mean he has this big ironbornish kind of like need for pride in there and he thinks even such as these made mock of Theon Turncloak. Let them laugh. His pride had perished here in Winterfell. There was no place for such in the dungeons of the Dreadfort. When you have known the kiss of a flaying knife, a laugh loses all its power to hurt you. Which reminds me a lot of that Tyrion line, of course. Like, you know, you name yourself, buddy. Don't let other people give you names. 
That's true. I just realized, so I'm about to talk about some other things here, but maybe part of it, like that whole birthed wretch bastards is him projecting onto them his hate for Ramsay, but there's a bunch of other things going on here. Like, uh, this is this is kind of fucked up thinking, right? This is misogynist thinking from Theon, and like he's very wrong to think it, but you can kind of see why he's doing it. It's the other side of that coin when before he was just like, oh, I will buy sex records all the time, and I'm gonna do whatever I want and just leave the captain's daughter who, what's her name, everyone? Still don't know. And as we learn, like, Later, and it's hinted out throughout this chapter where he thinks earlier on, he's about to say, I'm no man, but instead he says, I'm no one's man. He's thinking that he's not a man, and Ramsay jokes that Theon isn't one. And I mean, manhood isn't defined about whether or not you have a penis anyway. Like, it's about how you act and shit, Theon, but whatever, we'll get to that, like, in a few chapters. And part of why Theon's probably thinking so disdainfully about these camp followers, though, is, like, he, he used to frequent sex workers a lot, and, like, as a way to other them right and and create that social distance make himself feel a bit superior despite their laughter and it's his way of trying to like differentiate himself from them and try to reclaim like his masculinity or some sort of identity indifference to them but like all of this of course gets turned on its head when theon is forced into this sort of like sexual um moment with Ramsay like he's not directly having sex with him and there's that uncanny underpinning and none of it is consensual of course and how that relationship with Ramsay is but like it, it's all framed in this very strange way and all of these are coming together in this chapter and I said it better myself sister Theon is given a seat on the dais, uh, not completely in the high table, but, you know, up on the dais, and he sits next to Lady Dustin. No one sits to his right. Arya is given a place of honor on the high table between Roose and Ramsay, which, that's not a fun place to sit. I would not want to sit there. How awful. That's, it's, it's way worse but it reminds me of the time i had the middle seat between like my friend and her mother on a 14 hour flight and was like you guys really put me in the fucking middle seat like you couldn't sit by each other this is weird (laughs) i mean i understand that they wanted the comfortable seats but i was just like okay fine (laughs) i see how it'd be (sighs) bruce gives a charismatic speech so to say, it's a charismatic Ruth speech about, you know, joining Stark and Bolton as one so that they can end this enmity that has grown between them forever. And then, of course, this great part. His voice was so soft, the hall grew hushed as men strained to hear. I'm sorry our good friend Stannis has not seen fit to join us yet. He went on to a ripple of laughter. As I know Ramsay had hoped to present his head, the Lady Arya as a wedding gift. The laughs grew louder. We shall give him a splendid welcome when he arrives, a welcome worthy of true North. Okay, but like also, he's straight up kind of japing about killing Rob here. Like in Rob's house. Like, yeah. Go the fuck home, Bruce. Acting like he's not the real turncloak. Bruce is the turncloak. He is the turncloak. Also, uh, I guess he makes jokes. This yeah, is, also, this is like, fascinating to me that he makes jokes. Why are they laughing at this? This is not funny to me. Like, I'm like, Roos, are you really... Like, he's not that good. This is literally 
what happens in the comedy scene when people laugh yeah. at mediocre white men's jokes. But it really is because I'm. It's not really that funny of a joke. That's you, what you could have made so many funnier jokes, and you could have talked about Salisa's ears. I'm just saying, like that's that right there is like nailed it humor. Yeah, this was just kind of like a. I don't know. It it wasn't that funny of a joke that it warranted a ripple of laughter. Anyway, even Shireen well, would agree that the stakes were too high. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> oh, God. See, you got Bruce Bolton. Um, we're gonna give you a calling card. We're gonna give you a business card for Chloe. She is in fact a professional, a professional <laughs> comedian. A com- me, the only the person laughing right now is me. By the way. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm sure all of our oh, okay. listeners are laughing out there. That one was good. High. That was a good Thank one. You. You're the one really making all the puns nowadays. Yeah, I've been on a, a, a kick. I don't understand this idea that like people think I don't make puns. Maybe like yeah. we just cut a lot of the ones I make, but I do make puns, you guys. I don't think we cut any of the ones. I don't. I'm like a, oh. <laughs> Maybe I do. I don't know. Some of mine just come off really cheesy. Yours are very... Uh, you, you have this persona that you can pull them off, and I unfortunately... <sighs> I don't know if it works for me constantly, you know, so I, I got to think... be smooth. Also, I don't want to over pun. I feel like your puns are better usually. So you're the pun spotlight and I just support. No, I don't think so. I think you just I believe in you and maybe you just don't believe in yourself and I leave your puns in. You know what? I do believe in food and Lord Manderley provides yes. food for this wedding and it sounds good. I am it, hungry. Most of it. Some of it I'm skeptical about. We'll get to that. Like the latter but... of it. Right, but the first part sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. He brings cod cakes and winter squash and neeps. I love you, Tommen, but you are wrong. Neeps and beets are delicious. Mm. Wheels of cheese, slabs of mutton. Someone told me that mutton was gross on the internet. We've had this discussion already. Beef ribs, like, wow. Do we have barbecue sauce in Westeros? I know we don't. I'm joking. And of course, Manderly brings the wedding pies. Yeah. Three huge pies stuffed with carrots, onions, turnips, parsnips, mushrooms, and chunks of seasoned pork swimming in a savory brown gravy. Mm. Don't give up on the gravy. Yum. I think you'd need the gravy for those chunks of seasoned pork. I'm sure. Wyman Manderley himself served, presenting the first steaming portions to Bruce Bolton and his fat Frey wife, the next to Sarah Hostine okay. and Sir Aenys, the sons of Walder Frey. The best pie you ever tasted, my lords! The fat lord declared, wash it down with arbor gold and savor every bite. I know I shall! Wait, do you think this was an instance of, shall we call it, lies in arbor gold? I mean... Isn't it always? I mean, yes, but mostly because do you guys remember Jared Frey or Rhaegar Frey or Simon Frey? Try not to. Remember them, Eliana? Well, we were looking for them last last Girls Gone Canon episode, remember? I do. We had a hunt to go find them and, you know, uh, he ate them, (laughs) y'all. Can't find the bodies that way. Got them. Got him, sent him ahead, and was like, oh, yes, they want to go see their kin. And it's like a direct, obvious arc. Like, obviously, this was a theory that was very much so speculated online by fans uh, and kind of analyzed. But 
it was all but confirmed in the TV show as uh, David and Dan kind of used it for a racy plot that wasn't exactly this. They didn't really include this arc in the North. But basically, Manderly murders the three Freys. Then he eats two slices of each pie? Six pieces? Like, each pie. That's He's a savage. He, like, that, that's savage. I couldn't do that. I'd gag the whole time. It must have felt really weird but good in a gross way. Right? Like, I hear people too. It's just a clear line hear- from all of it. It's obvious that these themes of cannibalism, you know, have been ongoing, especially in Adabada, in a Dance of Dragons. Uh, Stannis' troops, the Skigosi, Astapor, Joe and Pace, Night's Watch deserters from Cold Hands when he serves Bran and them food. I mean, it, it's an ongoing thing, so it's not really that surprising at this point. Yes. Um, yeah, some, as, Many have pointed out, of course, you now it's some major Titus Andronicus vibes. And I mean, like, I've heard this is kind of unrelated, but not at all, that people taste like sweet, tough pork. And oh. so it makes perfect sense to me that. Why would you say that? Because people need to know. There's a reason that people are called long pig. <laughs> all right. Oh, I do. It loves you. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, of course, the whole savory brown gravy kind of reminds you of that bowl of brown that uh, another Simon got cooked into. Similar names, different spellings. Similar names, yes, absolutely. Us. Uh, yeah. That's actually a perfect direct parallel right there. That Simon and Simon. Yeah, don't be named Simon, of, I guess. And bowl of brown. That's actually yeah. like really smart. Now that you say that out loud, I never thought of that. And I'm like, oh, duh, it's canon. I never thought of it until this moment when we were reading aloud this quote. And I was like, oh, hey, hey. Yeah, that's duh. Like, I'm sitting here like, duh, no wonder he just named, like, George's random fray names. I yeah. almost want to say, like, a lot of them aren't random when you really, like, put them into play. Like, obviously, there's the Rhaegar thing and trying to, you know, impress the Targs. And I mean, Jared. It's interesting. Jared might be random. Maybe that might be just a free name, but you know what I mean otherwise. Theon watches Jane Poole and her big brown eyes that are wide with fear, and he thinks of putting her out of her misery, and maybe it'll put him out of his misery if he were to cut her throat. Mm-hmm. Lady Dustin breaks him out of his thoughts to note that he doesn't eat, and well, turns out eating's kind of hard when you have a lot of broken teeth so instead he drinks wine which i understand this logic on theon's part but at the same time this is how we we talked about Bootin rallies like last episode or the one before and that's how that happens lady dustin observes that lord manderly is being very happy right now and while theon comments that lord manderly's drunk lady dustin says that he's a craven uh, pandering, you know, to Bruce Bolton and all this stuff, and along with, of course, all of the pie stuff, and how we know that those are made of peoples, the Soylent, Soylent Greed is made of people, the songs that Lord Manderley plays might have some significance, like The Night That Ended, or especially Danny Flint on Reddit, someone named Lord Tryhard, wrote a post about how Wyman Manderley knows about Arya, and that the suggesting that the song Danny Flint is played as a sort of message or hint from Lord Manderley to signify that he knows that Jane is a fake or saying that she doesn't belong here or pretending to be someone she isn't. And when you frame it in this way and you think of all the songs that he's resting to and like 
he's getting dragged out at the end because he's drunk and falling over. And he's like, I think you guys should play a song about the rat cook, which we're going to get to. But giving himself away really obviously. And this is, you know, Lady Dustin says he's craven, but we know like he's not craven. Like he's he's done, you know, he's like just like Big Bucket Wool says, you know, I want to go out bathed in Bolton blood. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck it. Just fuck it. We're going to get this regime back or we're going to die trying. Like, that's mm-hmm. even though Lord Manderly says it a little more subtle and a little <laughs> more politically. He right now at this wedding, he's drunk enough. And he's like, ah, fuck the phrase and fuck you, Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Drink your way. Here's a pie, bitch. So I like that. He's, yeah, he's doing <laughs> that while also playing his own, he's his own Delilah on the radio. You know, he's making these invitations oh, yeah. out there playing these songs oh it's what i do to me that's him oh i was thinking delilah like the radio personality the one who you know the delilah it's some sort of syndicated radio radio segment anyway yeah so theon kind of rebuts at barbary and he compares his, his happiness manderley's happiness to the ironborn feasting before battle and the northmen feasting before stannis comes Lady Dustin chuckled, and when he does, the fat man will piss himself. His son died at the Red Wedding, yet he's shared his bread in salt with the phrase, welcomed them beneath his roof, promised one his granddaughter. He even serves them pie. The Manderleys ran from the south once, hounded from their lands and keeps by enemies. Blood runs true. The fat man would like to kill us all, I do not doubt, but he does not have the belly for it, for all his girth. Underneath that sweaty flesh beats a heart as craven and cringing as, well, yours. Burn. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, we know that both of them, Theon and Lord Manderley, kind of pull through as Northerners true and true. You know, with that whole you have to know your name thing and the whole, like, go find Rickon. Yeah. uh, Lady Barbary Dustin is spelled like the word projection, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, when I actually like look in the dictionary under Lady Barbary Dustin, you know, when I turn the page and it's P R O J E. I I mean, I love her character and I love the oh, yeah. way she's framed. She's such a fantastic character and I love these interactions she has with people. But Theon. she's obviously wounded and taking it out on people. Yeah, I'm like, okay, just because like you feel like you didn't get to make any of your actions does not mean that lord vanderley is just sitting down he's out here he is making moves you are eating people yeah theon provides polite talk saying lord bolton didn't seem to mistrust lord vanderley but barbary dustin speaks against that she tells theon to watch the way that roos guards himself with wyman yeah um she's team aliana she thinks Roos is a total badass who's not going out anytime soon, and definitely not by Manderly, who couldn't do shit to anyone. Or Stannis. In fact, she thinks he may just become hang in the north eventually, if he reaches so far and wants it. But, you know, I mean, it's okay to be wrong, Eliana and Barbary, because Roos is gonna die. Because all men must die. And honestly, it's gonna be soon. Very soon. Like, first quarter of the wind's winter should have been in dance, but, you know, chapters had to move, and, you know, he's just not gonna see it coming. Is what I'm saying. That ruse. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I. I... So. Did you really put a quote here? Through? Yeah, I put a quote. quote. I saw <laughs> you put a quote. quote. So I was yeah, like, all right, bitch is bringing quotes. I was going to bring this up anyway, but now that you had a quote, I was like, I'm bringing a quote. Okay. Did you anyway. Really put a quote here? 
So I'm going to bring us back to that shitty joke that Roos made earlier, right? wasn't very funny. He goes, I am sorry that our blah, 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 blah. And he goes, I know that Ramsay had hoped to present Stannis' head to Lady Arya as a wedding gift. And Ramsay is being framed like Joffrey here. And we've seen a lot of similarities in the way that they are and how Ramsay is a more extreme version of Joffrey. You know, they both have lips like worms because apparently that's a description that we use throughout the books. And Ramsay wanting to present um... Stannis's head to quote unquote Lady Arya is like how Joffrey told Sansa that, oh, I would like to present Rob's head to you as a gift. I don't know if it was for her wedding or not. So, same energy. And Joffrey was set up very much like a big bad, but in the end, the real mastermind was the quieter one, Tywin Lannister, who outlives Joffrey. He eventually dies, of course, because. That's the way that these stories go, because it's not about how the bad guys are all badasses, even though some people think that's what the story is. But anyway, I just think that it's possible that in the books, Roos, who will of course die, outlives Ramsay because he's the scarier, quieter villain. See, and there's just so many little lines in this chapter, especially like in Roos's charismatic speech, he has this line... Until that day, let us eat and drink and make merry, for winter is almost upon us, my friends, and many of us here shall not live to see the spring. And I'm like, all right, but you're going to be one of those people. And like, he thinks, you know, oh, we're untouchable. We killed the Starks. We now hold Winterfell. At least that's what he's trying to project. He doesn't think that. We know he doesn't. He he knows he's in hot shit. And that like any fucking misstep and like Ramsey could just fucking do something crazy and he'd be fucked. Like he knows that. He said that he knows that. But up front, he's like, oh, we're the shit, and we're going to kill Stannis. And, you know, nothing's going to bring down the real regime. We're going to show him what the North is. And uh, I think that's great, but him saying, some of us shall not live to see the spring, that totally cements it for me. That's like, oh, you're that somebody that's not going to live to see the spring. But it could be both him and Ramsay. It's just Ramsay first, because as you said last time, we're just talking about about this. What? We could. We could. No, I don't know. You have to eat. No, you love eating. To drink. <laughs> I have to drink a screwdriver. Ugh. No. Horrible pain. Is, I don't know. I just think Ramsey is going to uh, perform. Well, you could call it a a ruse. Oh, a ruse. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's that's us now, guys. We're just gonna keep making this this joke about ruse and ruse. Tying up some Rusens. Oh no, no, oh but never mind. God. Um, hey, better than some frays. Uh, that's true. Better to have some Rusens than a frayed rope. Uh, I don't know. Working on it. I'm working on it. Just I like I'm working beautiful. on this Dunkin egg and cheese and bagel thing. You got a lot on your plate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, plate. A blue plate <laughs> on a truck. Never mind. Okay. Anyways, Theon mentions that. Barbary could also have some pull here in this like Winterfell and weird ass court if she wants. But as she is explaining this mutually non aggressive relationship, three maesters come in, one of them named Medric, I forgot the other guy's name, and the other is named Henley, which is a name that I remember because it reminds me of the way that Chloe greets me sometimes, like Henlo. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think of. That's what I think of when I see his Henlo, name. Henlo the Maester. <laughs> Uh, uh, and man, Barbary sure doesn't like the Maesters. 
She thinks, she like says they're gray rats. I'm like, true, real true. And this scene to me is very Cersei and Sansa, like mm-hmm. at the Blackwater. Uh, she, she gives him this speech, like she's a little buzz and she's like, the maesters are twisted. And he's like, but they heal. And she's like, Maester Rickard's Maester Wallace was a rat and he was a bastard too before the Citadel. Like again, projecting where his father was the Archmaester. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel Barbary does then. I also like the name Wally's. Yeah, I like that name. It reminds me of like how they called Hodor Willis in the show though. Oh yeah, that's right. I don't know why it just reminded me of that. She claims that Wallace or whatever Wally's. Wallace Oh my god. She claims Wallace filled Rickard's ears with poison, but Roos interrupts her buzzle confessional about her life as a woman and how it sucks because of the Maesters and the Starks. Yeah, I I think that this discussion about Maesters having questionable loyalty is really interesting here and that questionable service to their lords because in the context of Theon's storyline, we did in fact have a Maester, right? There was like a really prominent one and he did his duty very well. He tried to help as much as he could, like help Theon in the way that Theon needed to be helped, not in the way that he wanted to be helped. That is, of course, Maester Lewin, bless him wherever he is. While, like, Lewin says he didn't love Theon, he certainly showed him some sort of care and good counsel. And, yeah, he might not have loved Theon, but he fiercely loved the Starks and Bran and Rickon. And, like, the Starks trusted him, even if, like, Wallys was, like, kind of suspicious. And Lewin loved the Starks, he served them. And as Lady Dustin points out, I don't know, there's this, like, weird relationship of servitude. Lords wanting to have a maester, like, as this weird status symbol, as though maesters are objects. Just a really, like, wrong and off, especially in the context of things later on in this chapter. Also, if you think about maybe the Reek chapters were supposed to be in... Before Feast and Dance were split into two books, George said that the prologue, first of all, the prologue was going to be that long. 19 POV prologue. Everybody gets an intro chapter, basically. Yeah, yeah, that one. But I think he was still always going to have some of that Pate stuff going on. And, like, if you think about how, like, the Citadel and all the stuff with Pate and those are framing up this discussion on Maesters anyway... In terms of the storyline, George cutting Barbary off mid-thought is, of course, significant because it's a story and he gets to make this happen. Like, about, I don't know, I, I don't know what they're saying about the High Towers for sure. Like, if they did or didn't arrange that marriage between the Tullys and the Starks through Wallys. But, like, I'm just like, what was their goal? We know that the High Towers have always kind of been a, like, a huge power player in the Reach. They, they're somewhat rivals with the Tyrells, but not. They had a lot of marriage alliances with them, and right now that's happened again with Allery wed to Mace. And I, it doesn't seem like they're the ones who are going to be the friends in the Reach for the Golden Company because of their ties to House Tyrell, but, like, I don't know, maybe House Tyrell falls and Tommen's death is, of course, like, foreshadowed, and then again, Euron's ships are threatening the power of the High Towers, being so close to Old Town, and I don't really know... But something's happening here. I don't think it has anything to do with, like, current so much, you know, as far as that. Like, maybe they'll support a Targaryen faction, whatever. Especially with, like, the whole Dance of the Dragons idea and the High Towers always, you know, getting not- them getting knocked down in the Targaryen paths that we've learned of in Fire and Blood and such and such. But, I don't know, maybe they were trying to match Lyness with Brandon or Ned, possibly. Mm. She's about ten years younger than them, but... She would have been, like, betrothal age by the time they were 
close to becoming men, you know, I suppose. And Jorah was 20 years older than her. She was born in 272 and Lynesse, uh Jorah was born in 252. So I don't know. It's kind of an idea. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. They're obviously into these power plays as shown in Fire and Blood. And I just, I don't yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah, and maybe they are, I mean, the big thing is, then you think again, I know we've talked about her this episode, she keeps coming up, but Melora, you know, and what the hell she's doing yeah. up there. Uh, Scad from Davos Fingers is doing a panel on the High Towers at Ice and Fire Con, oh. and I'm really excited about that. I really hope I get to see that. I'm not sure schedule-wise if I'll get to, but I hope I do, because that's, that's going to be interesting to get some other perspectives, I think. Interesting, yeah, I gotta check that out. I don't think about the High Towers enough. Me either. And that's actually what it's about, is how people don't think about it enough. <laughs> so, Roos announces that Stannis' troops are on the march. The Umbers and Karstarks are as well, meaning to join their power to him, and Hostein Frey starts to offer different ideas for battle. Roos pauses him, announcing Ramsay must consummate the marriage with Arya. Manderly is then drunkenly carried out of the hall, and he's asking for a song about the rat cook. Listen to <laughs> made a very meaningful pointed mixtape, all right. And some of Ramsey's men then are awaiting Theon. It's Damon Dance for me and Sour Allen and Yellow Dick. And they tell Theon that Lord Ramsey has need of him to bring his bride to bed. Like, oh god, why does he gotta be there? You know, the rest of this chapter is gonna be a little graphic. Uh we're not gonna go into super dense detail on any one plot point. Just wanted to put another warning here for you guys that this is a turn back now point. If you don't want to hear about, you know, strong themes of sexual abuse and abuse and assault, uh, turn back. We're going to keep it light, though, for sure. Ramsey has Theon unwrap Jane with his dagger. Uh, in this moment, Theon notices scars on Jane's back from being whipped in the brothel. So fuck Littlefinger is the goal of this episode, first off. Yeah, the, I mean, like, Ramsay asks her and threatens her because he says that he was told that she knows how to please a man, and Jane's response is that she was trained, which, like, again, fuck Littlefinger, like, I mean, actually, though, anyone who thinks that Littlefinger has valiant goals, or I I see this sometimes where they think that he's secretly the good guy, like, he sold Jane, okay, he forced her into sex slavery, that's not good guy coded, that's, it's not, like, a subversion of anything, it's evil, in anything George writes ever, slavery will never be good. I don't understand why people have this issue with understanding that. Like, slavery does not equal good. It does not equal gray. It, it, it The idea is that, like, what is a human life worth? That's not fair to say that, you know? Littlefinger selling Jane into sex slavery isn't just gross on the level that fuck Littlefinger it's also fucked up on this whole idea of a corrupt government, and we know that Westeros is poisoned, it's corrupt, it's bleeding, it's gushing, it's so gross. Just filled with infection and rot. And Littlefinger straight up, like, Sansa sat there and she's like, please, like, my friend's dad, we just want to know what's up with him. Please tell us, please tell us. And Cersei sits there and manipulates Sansa and says, oh, I'm so sorry this is bothering you. We'll take care of it. Littlefinger, take care of it. She turns to a government official and he says, okay, it's taken care of. And he sells an 11-year-old into sex slavery to be, like, forced to be trained to please a man or a woman or anyone. And it's just, 
it's so fucked up. Like, it's not okay. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing redeeming about Littlefinger. Like, I'm sorry, when my crush rejected me and I got into a fight with her, you know, boyfriend, basically, her fiance, I didn't then go cry and try to, like, start a war and ruin her entire family's life. Like, that's a little immature. I didn't, you know, sell girls into sex slavery. That's not, you know, if that's my villain root. Yeah. I'm a villain. I, I don't know how else. Littlefinger's bad. He's not good. He's a bad man. He's a villain. Capital V. Going back to that idea of growing up is learning to accept and respect other people's choices and like move on, dude. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. Instead, what he did was he caused more pain because of it. So terrible. It's just really awful. And then Ramsay is mocking both Theon and Jane like during all this and he forces Theon to perform oral sex on Jane to get her ready for him. Somewhere in the godswood, a raven screamed. The dagger was still in his hand. He sheathed it. Reek, my name is Reek. It rhymes with weak. Reek bent to his task. Mm-hmm. I'm just very uncomfortable. Yeah, the raven screaming's a mood. Even Blood Raven and Bran were like, no! No! We don't want to see this shit! Yeah, they... I don't know. It's that pain that the birds are crying. It's it's all just very horrible, but I'm just gonna break down these last few lines and like the symbolism and the stylistic use of omission here, because it's all terrible, but I still like respect what George is doing here as a writer and like a lot of the different layers that are coming together at the end of this chapter because it's heavily implied though not and of course implied means not outwardly stated that theon has been castrated it's it's said explicitly and revealed for sure in the show when they like show it happening and the books don't actually say it explicitly and of course this idea isn't the first time you're gonna see that in literature like i wonder to what extent george is inspired by like this character of jake barnes and the sun also rises by hemingway um who's ends up impotent after world war one and i do think i don't know maybe maybe it's a thing because george did after all go to the same journalism school as hemingway and decades apart because that's how time works you can see that sort of phallic imagery that becomes a specter in this whole scene that idea of impotence or like to play off of impotence and what that word actually means beyond just not having uh not being able to get it up or not having a penis is of course that powerlessness that theon feels throughout this entire chapter throughout being reek especially here at the end as he keeps thinking of like i have this dagger we all have this dagger and he's like i could just turn around and stab ramsey with it but i don't because he's just feels so so weak in these moments and that resheathing of the sword into the hilt is of course like as he's bending down to his task it's him resigning to that powerlessness but also at the same time it's also that sexual imagery like reek can't participate in the sort of like penile sexual intercourse anymore but this is again sexual language and it's highly uncomfortable there's that implication of what follows like the task as it's called with this sheathing and it's that violence and that rape that Ramsay does unto Jane and and Jane is ushered into the room to do her they they use the term duty and again what Theon does it's a task and it's all very intentionally stripped of sexuality just contrasted with that similar act of of oral sex 
with that Lord's kiss in storms in a storm of swords that 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 is done lovingly on like this and given like these removed cold euphemisms but in the ta- context like a task comes off as still horrific yeah it's extremely horrific and you get all this cruel mockery from Ramsay and these japes you know of Theon being less than a man and him demanding he do the work with his major ellipsis mouth only add to the idea that you know Theon's unable to participate fully in this uh, due to possibly being castrated, as we said, not confirmed, but is confirmed. Uh, it just, the writing and the careful play around the words makes it kind of obvious what George is trying to accomplish here. Yeah, and it's very delicately done to dance around all of it. Like the ellipsis, as you're saying, that lack of seeing the scene, because we don't need to see it the way that he writes it, because leaving it out and leaving it as this implication makes it that much more awful. It leaves it to the reader to fill in, and it puts the onus of this horrific action on the reader. Yeah, it lets you fill in the blanks, which is definitely something different from what, you know, we kind of went through in the show. Uh, They tried to do a similar thing, but it just didn't translate to screen right, and no matter what, it was pretty horrific the way they did it. I don't think it was as awful as it could have been, but by replacing a character and using someone that was beloved and showing it the way they did. As people pointed out, it's not any better that it's Jane serving the storyline for Theon or for mm-hmm. or for Ramsay or even for Littlefinger and showing Jane being the example of how terrible Littlefinger truly is, but I, I think it's that difference between conflating the different issues that women might face or something like that yeah no matter what whoever was in jane's role was going to be a victim yeah so it's just disappointing on a thematic and arc-centered level obviously with what they did the show uh and in the book it's just disappointing because no matter what someone was a victim here of ramsey of his torture yeah and this also rings really loudly with that like scene they did with joffrey in the show of him with the sex workers with you know Roz and uh the other girl I can't remember her name. Oh, oh God. God. Say her name, Chloe. Remember her name. You have to remember her name. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's very heavy. I'm kind of like really happy we're done with it right now. <laughs> yep. It was a lot. Oh, man. That was like, my whole stomach was just like, well. This is it. This was the Prince of Winterfell. Yeah, now that we're thoroughly depressed and giving you guys almost an hour, hour and a half of Prince of Winterfell content, ugh, we've let you down, we're sorry. You guys deserve nicer things than this. This is like uh, the series of unfortunate events only in our podcast. Oh, okay. You know, because of the bummer. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, that is really what happens though throughout all this, but way worse. Anyway, thank you everyone. You can follow us on social media. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Um, if you're sad. Yeah. You can commiserate with us. You can find us on Girls Gone Canon at Twitter. Or you can shoot us an email if you want to be a little more private about all that at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah. And of course, you can subscribe to us if you have not already on many, many platforms. We're on Podbean, where we have our main hosting. We are on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Acast. Yes. And again, we do have a Patreon, and we have recently released part three 
of our Dance of the Dragons series, which, you know, was going to be three episodes immediately before, but we did do part three, closing out the dance. And again, we have a stretch goal of a thousand. When we hit that, we will be looking to do a live stream, a fun secret show live stream party that we are talking about. So it's kind of secret, but kind of not, but you know, you know, it's a secret to me. It's like exclusive, but not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, not at all, but it is. It's like a Willy Wonka. Yes, absolutely. Come into our factory, the Girl Scout Cannon Factory. <laughs> the Cannon Factory. Oh. <laughs> Check that out at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And make sure to tune in next week. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Liza Narber. And I'm another one of your hosts, Celiana, also known as Glass Table Girl. Thanks for listening, you guys. Yep. Get some good rest. Make yourself like a nice tea or something. Like a hot chocolate. Yes. Or a blanket. And like, don't think about this chapter. Yeah, put on something like nice and happy. Like, I don't know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something. After or like Marley and Me. Wait. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>